Hi, my name is Lena, and I'm the CEO and founder of Parla. For me, what does femtech mean? Femtech is an opportunity for us to smash the taboos that surround a lot of um, women's health challenges, um, from fertility to pregnancy loss to the menopause. Uh, this is a unique opportunity for us to really close the gender pain gap and the gender research gap. So join the femtech bandwagon. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode, I interview Lena Chan, CEO and founder of Parla. Parla is a digital health company revolutionizing reproductive health by providing greater access to diagnostic tests and proactive support. Parla was inspired by Lena's own experience for fertility. She always felt on the back foot. Like many women, she found it difficult to understand what was going on with her body, get trusted support, and take care of her emotional health. Parla means to speak, and Lena believes that it's time to make women's health an ongoing, informed conversation, as do we. She is breaking taboos and making misinformation a thing of the past by creating a space that empowers women as they become the authority of their own health, body, and choices. Parla supports women in three main ways. First, it empowers women with knowledge about their bodies through at-home tests. Second, it has predictive data reports and health quizzes. And it makes women feel supported by connecting them to a community of engaged experts with other women in similar reproductive life journeys. It also nurtures women's minds and emotional well-being through audio health guides and mindfulness content. The Parla app includes free fertility health check, free meditation programs, fertility experts for support, and community to share and learn with. The thing I liked the most about this interview was Lena's attention to miscarriages and stillbirths. Both miscarriage and stillbirth describes pregnancy loss, but they differ according to when the loss occurs. In the United States, a miscarriage is usually defined as loss of a baby before the 20th week of pregnancy, and a stillbirth is a loss of baby 20 weeks after pregnancy or later. Miscarriage usually happens early in the pregnancy. Eight out of ten miscarriages happen in the first three months. Lots of people experience this kind of pregnancy loss. In fact, 10 to 20 percent of pregnancies end in miscarriage. The fact that society tells women not to tell anyone they're pregnant before three months since there's a high chance of miscarriage is a total insult. This is the time that women need to be surrounded and supported the most, not keeping the grief of their lost child to themselves. I was really moved by this interview, and I know you will be too. Learn more at myparla.com. Hey, Lena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brittany, for having me. Definitely. Where are you calling in from? London. On a very typical London day, a little gray, a little rainy. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> right in the ordinary, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is our summer. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. I lived in France in high school and it, that was the winter. I felt like I didn't see the sun for like three months. Oh it was gosh. France, France is way more North than you'd think on the earth, you know? So yeah, the winter was pretty dark. Yeah, exactly. I was so, somewhere was, uh, I was reading somewhere that um, actually Paris gets so much rain. I mean, we, you know, London is notorious as like, the yeah. place or England is as the pl- the place that's super wet, but actually Paris gets more rain than here because it is actually quite far, far, far north. Yes. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, let's start with your background. Our listeners love to hear, you know, where's our guests from? Did they, what did they study? Did they even go to school? Did they have a career before getting into women's health? So tell us about your story. Yeah, so well, so I um, I come from a Chinese family, but I was born and raised in Brazil, and then I went to uh, university in the U.S. Actually, so I, I lived in in um, the U- East Coast for a few years, kind of started my career there, and so my first 10, 15 years actually I spent as an investor. Um, so I was doing investing in Latin America um, and uh, in Europe. Uh, it was one of the projects, one of these investments actually that brought me to London. Wow. And I worked here for a few years and then went back to the U.S. for my master's where I met my husband. And then we moved together um, to London. I fell in love with Europe and I was like, I, I kind of, I want to, I want to spend at least a, a, a good amount of time um, in Europe. So we came here thinking we're going to be here for five years. <laughs> and now it's been like 13 years later. Oh my and, God, uh, a woman, what a worldly woman. Really quickly with the investor thing, was that like a venture fund or private equity? Private equity. So I was at JP Morgan and then at Credit Suisse Private Equity Group. So it was, um, but when I first started working at JP, it was, it was during the first tech boom. So kind of the first internet boom. So even though it was private equity, we were looking at kind of early stage, very techy businesses. Uh, and then the bust happened. So I started looking at extremely late stage nuts and bolts uh, yeah. businesses and kind of, you know, technology didn't really come back into my radar or I didn't really expect that. Um, but my husband, he is a tech entrepreneur and he's, you know, he's been doing tech ever since we graduated from, from business school. And um, the way I came about Parla and working in femtech was very much from a personal standpoint. Um, I think I'm, I'm one of a wave of women who didn't really think about having children until after I was 35 and kind of very naively thinking it was going to be something that was easy and it was probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And, and I'm kind of very personality A type where I'm kind of coded in a way to think, okay, if I work hard at something, I can get it, or there's a plan and you'll prepare and stuff. And wait, wait, com- wait. We can't just <laughs> force this thing to happen because then I, I might be screwed because that's exactly how I think. Well, just go hard. Oh, God. Yeah, yes, I know. You know? <laughs> but it's kind of not quite how it worked. And um, it was, uh, I mean, the personality type came in handy at times, um, but it was hard for us because uh, conceiving initially wasn't that hard, but then I had multiple pregnancy losses and I, I didn't, hadn't even, I didn't even know about pregnancy loss until I had had, I had had them and I was in all of that. So it took us about four years to, to then conceive our first um, uh, live daughter. And then she was super premature. So we spent a ton of time um, in the NICU kind of, it was her first month or more of her life was spent at the NICU. So, so you can imagine like, you know, this from kind of having a, a, a life where I 
kind of thought, okay, you know, effort, output, effort, output, everything yeah. seemed to be quite, quite not easy, but um, somewhat controlled. Yeah. I went through five years of my life that changed me physically, emotionally. Um, and, and honestly, it was pivotal for even my career now, right? Um, so when we came out of all that, because I was in no mental state to start any new businesses during that, um, my husband, who's kind of a techie, uh, and me having kind of been a little bit like a bulldog, really trying to figure things out around about women's health and how I could improve my health and why, what, why were things going wrong and all that, he said, like, I can't understand, like, why technology hasn't made it easier for women to understand their bodies better or just figure out how to get the right support, um, in, in, like, reduce the cost. Like, Because like, we kept just facing so many challenges. Like, we didn't know who to talk to. We didn't know the type of support we needed to. And then when we did find it, it was so expensive, you know, and we were extremely lucky to even be able to afford it or have some of it covered by insurance. But I'd say that the majority of people don't have that that access. So it, it's such a, a, a kind of an, a very unfortunate place to be and such an emotional um, time that you really want to democratize all of that. Like we shouldn't really be having those kinds of barriers in this day and age. So that was kind of the very early stages of Parla. Um, you know, our mission was really to improve access to, to women and their partners. So that entire journey can be a lot clearer, a lot easier and a lot more supportive. Um, yeah, and, and I quit my job and I started it. <laughs> oh, so how, um, how, thank you, by the way, for sharing your story so authentically and vulnerably. Um, how long ago was this that, you know, you finally had your baby and your husband started to be like, this was crazy. How long ago was that? So it's 2017. Um, I decided to, I left my job in January and I was at the time seven months pregnant with my second daughter. And it was kind of these like random serendipities. And he saw, he saw this one program on Google and he said, it was a program. Um, it was a three month program uh, for uh, mothers in tech. So you could, you could bring your baby to, to, to the, to the program. Yeah. And it was, it was basically a program where you'd meet every week um, and you'd meet with different mentors. And the idea was to help you build your business plan. And he's like, you have to apply to this. And the day, the dead, the deadline for that application was the day that I was due to go in for my C-sections. I was like, okay, I'm doing this. <laughs> so we applied. <laughs> Yeah, so we applied to that, and I got into that. Um, like, and you know, hold on, I got to finish my application. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, submit before I go go into the hospital. And um, and uh, I got in, and this program started when she was eight weeks old. Um, so she was like this little tiny baby that was on me, and I'd like commute across London. Um, but it was, it was, it was, it was wonderful. And I connect, you know, I met a ton of other women, um, in similar situations. Uh, they were an amazing program, um, where, you know, you each week you'd meet with a, with a coach and you'd figure out different parts of your business. So, you know, one day would be strategy, the other one would be marketing, yeah. the other one would be like financial modeling, et cetera. So out of that three month program, um, I had kind of a robust business plan. Like and um, and then I and then it was quite serendipitous. And then I got into an accelerator program here in London, um, which was focused all around building businesses to help tackle um, women's and girls' emotional and mental health. 
and mm-hmm. a big part of our product is um is is, is, is mental health is, is kind of really empowering you to feel better um during this this phase it can be very difficult for anybody who's struggling with fertility or pregnancy loss so we got into that um and that was a nine month um accelerator program and then we got our first round of funding at the end of that which was in 2018 mm. but um yeah, it was, it was nuts, but it was, it was very serendipitous. Yeah. Well, you know, that's oftentimes the universe telling you, you need to do it when it's almost like, I have almost no choice to, but to do it. It's so lined up. It's like crazy. Like this doesn't happen by mistake. So I can totally appreciate that. Um, One question before we get into what is Parla, you know, 2017, give or take, you know, you said, where was the tech, right? Where was the things that help you figure out where to find that doctor or what to do or what questions to ask or how to even finance it? I feel like every day I see new fertility like apps and stuff. And so were these, did these apps come out recently or were they around when you were there, but it was just not collect like together enough. I'm just trying to understand what was the landscape like in 2017 for fertility stuff? Yeah, for me, it was the holisticness of it. It was, you know, so you'd have companies that just did testing. And it was, I think, 2017, 2018 was when modern fertility in the U.S. kind of was really big about fertility testing. And I think they're probably, you know, them and Maven were probably kind of the spearheading companies of building something really women-centric. You know, so here in the UK, we were probably a few years earlier where there was quite a lot of content companies around post-pregnancy, pregnancy, post-pregnancy. There was a lot of IVF, IVF clinics, IVF stuff, all kind of during the pre, but I really felt like there was a a gap in kind of tying all the things together and especially bringing in emotional health and mental health. And because for me, you know, you can't really be healthy if you don't really think of your physical as well as your mental health. I think it's something that's very, very, very connected. So our, our vision for Parla was to, to really bring that together. So you help women understand what's going on physically, but you're really supporting them with that emotional health um, through and through. So it was, it was something very core to us. So kind of incorporating all of that was, was quite key. Have you always been an advocate for emotional and mental health to the extent that you are now, or did it have to, did you have to go through your uh, experience with, you know, pregnancy in order to realize how important it was? I, I, I don't think I, I was so acutely aware until I went through what I went through. Got it. Well, let's get into Parla. So what is Parla? So we're a uh, expert-led community. Um, so we, I really think that, because another thing that really kind of drove me crazy was Dr. Google. <laughs> you get one problem and you go to Dr. Google and it just, that problem just blows up, right? So for me, getting the right, oh yeah, getting, exactly, I'm going to die tomorrow. <laughs> getting, getting the right, the, getting the right expert to help you. Um, is really, really important. So for us, all the content is written by experts. Um, We run courses, which is led by experts. So we run PCOS courses, um, post-pregnancy, pregnancy loss support courses. And those are all led by somebody who's really, really knowledgeable about 
um, that phase. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we curate um, that course for you or that kind of uh, relationship for you. So for example, we run a PCOS program where um, it starts with a PCOS hormone test so that you really know what kind of PCOS do you have. Um, you then work with um, uh, Lenise, who's an amazing, uh, um, she's a nutritionist, so she helps look at all your lifestyle, um, what are things that you need to um, change in your lifestyle to help you. And um, then you can also chat with fertility nurses in case you really want to kind of explore, do I need medication or do I not need medication? So it kind of curates all of that. Um, so you only have to go to one place to get to get that support from the testing to answering your questions, looking at medicine, as well as looking at um, more holistic approaches to improving your symptoms. And we do that for different challenges that women have. So we do that for PCOS, endometriosis, if you're exploring IVF, if you've just had a, a, um, a pregnancy loss and different, like the pregnancy loss, for example, is, is one that I'm obviously very passionate about. That one, the core, the program is run by a clinical psychologist because that for us was a more relevant um, expert for you to be connecting than necessarily a doctor. Yeah. Um, because what you're really kind of trying to untangle is all that grief and yeah. all the fear that comes around um, after you've, you know, if, if you get pregnant again. So we kind of, because of the experience and the women that we've worked with and the user feedback, we try to get the right expert for these different journeys. Does Parla offer telehealth? Is that, would you consider this telehealth? Um, it's no, cause it's usually wrapped into programs, okay. um, so that you get a bit more, um, but the experts during this program, they're on text message. So you can, through our, through our app, but, uh, you know, so Lenise runs the PCOS program over the course of six to seven weeks and, but she can answer questions throughout the entire program during those seven weeks. And, and most of the time, um, people continue that relationship on the app with the experts that they work with. Cool. And who reviews their test results with them? Because I know that's the experts. Experts? Yeah, the experts. Yeah, exactly. So they receive a report, um, but then they have that chat with the person who's doing the program with them. Amazing. Well, so how do you include mental and emotional health? You know, you mentioned that the, you know, pregnancy loss is led by a clinical psychologist, but what about, you know, how, how is it integrated otherwise? Uh, we have a lot of content. So we have meditations um, and they're kind of very specific meditations for different programs. Um, we have journaling. Um, so, and, and again, it's curated. So, so the, the pregnancy loss program, for example, that we just did uh, users that are in that program, they get very specific prompts. So they do journaling, they bring that to the sessions. Um, they can also listen to meditations. We run events also. I mean, now with COVID is a little harder, but um, I'm hoping that soon we can do um, some live events. So we, we we, we've kind of done that through Zoom. So we try to integrate that awareness um, and then um, upskill people with things that work for them. Like not everybody will connect with meditation. Not everybody will connect with um, journaling, but we kind of make it aware and make the tools easy for them to access. Uh, and then most often than not, they'll, they'll, they'll engage with it. Is there any science behind like that somebody has shown like meditation and journaling and mindfulness exercises would be helpful for your fertility? I mean, uh, yes, like, obviously it should, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more you're in your yeah. body, the more balanced you are. But I'm just wondering if there's actually science written about it. Yeah. So we've, um, so we've actually, so this, uh, the 
the pregnancy loss program that we came that we just finished um, uh, designing, we worked with a researcher from Cambridge. So we really want to make things as science-based as possible. So we did, it was kind of a four or five part research project. We're still kind of finishing it. Um, but the first project was literally doing kind of a really big survey um, of all clinical trials that had taken place and all, um, all, all different trials that they had looked at for women who were doing IVF, um, women who have had um, pregnancy loss and what helps them cope um, best with their, with kind of their emotional well-being throughout these. And I can probably send you later a list of a lot of these researches, but um, there's, there are some things that have shown to help, um, but it, it, it's, it can be quite like more scans helps reduce your anxiety, more doctor visits, can, but those are very, they're very expensive and they're very hard to, to kind of impose on a medical system to be able to deliver that. But there are also a lot of skills that you can help people to develop that makes them a bigger agent in, in kind of their health journey. Uh, and a lot of those um, come down to techniques like um, peer support, um, being mindfulness. And, and mindfulness is, is a word that has is, been overused to, to people just thinking of it as you sitting there meditating. But mindfulness is being aware of the thoughts that you're having, um, kind of being present. And that kind of negative chatter that you can have, the self-critic that you can have, that can really have a very negative impact on you. Um, so, you know, there was a, a big study that happened here in the UK that literally just had women um, do some some journaling about how they felt, um, how grateful they felt about some things, or helping them reframe some thoughts, and um, and then they went to show over a, a number of um, weeks how they how their markers improved, um, and we've even done that in our app. So we actually are very science based, and we through the learnings of these of these trials and then us doing it on our own product and then following the women um, and having pop-ups tracking how they're feeling, um, we, conti we continually curate and uh, tweak the product so that it can really be delivering things that are, that are helpful. Yeah. How many women have used your product and your program? Um, we have more than 8,000 um, and we're in 80 countries. So the kind of more, the most the kind of it's 80 countries, but I'd say probably kind of 80% are in a lot of the Anglo speaking ones. So US, UK, Canada, Singapore, um, Aust Australia uh, is kind of our biggest, our biggest markets. But for me that, you know, and it's all been organic. We've never done kind of crazy marketing. And it's, uh, it, for me, it's just a sign of the need. It's how, it's, it's something that people are looking for. Yeah. How common is pregnancy loss? One in four. It's the, it's the, it's the leading um, pregnancy uh, complication. And, the, and that for me is like, it's a mission that we have is to just really demystify this. It's so common. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a more. Tell me more. We talk about infertility a lot, but I don't think we talk enough about pregnancy loss. About pregnancy. No. Yeah, so one in four pregnancies um, will end in loss. So a lot of them early stage, so a lot of them before 12 weeks, um, but uh, also many um, late stage. And the, the a, a recent study have shown that 
70% of women that experience pregnancy loss go on to develop symptoms of PTSD. So you can imagine um, that that has such an, a, a profound impact on you, um, how you function, how you're at work, how you're with relationships. And the problem is that because so many of the pregnancy losses happen in the first 12 weeks, and a lot of women are told not to share that, they're cut off from a lot of um, the support, the kind of like the natural support system that they would have, right? So you're, you're, you're telling somebody that you've had a pregnancy loss when they didn't even know that you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, there's, there's this kind of like very bizarre way that our society is, is, um, is structured where, you know, you're told not to share that you're pregnant until you're after 12 weeks because so much of the pregnancy loss happens then, which is actually then, you know, intuitively you think, okay, so it's very common. Um, but then um, the health system doesn't really screen for that. So for example, even though it's shown um, that it can have such a high mental impact, uh, nobody, nobody gets um, offered mental health screening or mental health support after that. And here in the UK, you're expected to miscarry three times before you even get any investigation. So you imagine that My impact on any women. But it's, it's insane, yeah. And, and I, I actually think that it's a massive um, market gap um, in, in, in care for women. I think a lot of people are focused on fertility, infertility, and I, I, and I don't think of pregnancy loss just as um, miscarrying in the first 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think women connect with IVF and like not implanting or um, a cycle not working in a very similar way. Like the way that you experience it, that you think of your embryos is, is very, very similar. So the emotional um, um, burden that they go through when they're in IVF is, is very high. And if you look at the trends, right, everybody, like a lot, most of the women, the, the highest uh, category of women trying to conceive are those above 40. Like there are 50% chance of miscarrying if you're above 40. Not even, So it's not one in four, but, you know, wow. one in, one in, yeah, it's like 50%. Um, the rates of, of IVF not, not working is, it's um, almost 70, 75%, right? So we need to start paying attention to the fact that there is a large group of women that will have will be experiencing emotional distress. It, it doesn't have to be as far as PTSD, but you like you're not functioning at your best. You're yeah. not being you're not well. That's not healthy, um, and we need to think more about how how we can close that gap for them. Like we shouldn't be. It's kind of you know for the longest time we've been told to to deal with our period pains like. We shouldn't be told to just get over it. Like you shouldn't just get over your miscarriage. You shouldn't just get over the fact that you're having failed IVF. Like that has, we need to start recognizing that that has an impact on how you feel and how you will function in society with your family, with your friends, with yourself, right? And that for me is part of health. My gosh, so powerful. This is so important. So I have some more specific questions, like technical questions. And this is honestly, and my listeners know that I'm a student on my own podcast. <laughs> I'm like learning a lot. <laughs> um, so if women are experiencing pregnancy loss, are they kind of categorized into like they're experiencing infertility or is it a whole separate category? It's um, so, you know, so a lot of women or, or not a lot. So some women might have recurrent miscarriage. So they are able to conceive, but they can't hold on to that pregnancy and you might be um, experiencing um, recurrent miscarriage for more than 12 months right so for me um, 
I think that is part of infertility. You're not conceiving. There's something you need to figure out. Why is it that you're not able to hold on to that pregnancy? Um, I think sometimes, um, and, and that is what often frustrates a lot of women, is that they'll go to the doctor and the doctor will fall them off like, oh, you at least got pregnant. Just go uh, and try again. Do you see what I mean? And that, that again, is so mentally jarring, right? So, and a lot of women will miscarry because of IVF. So they've already been trying for a very long time. Um, they might be trying for two, three, four years, and then they they get they go into IVF, and they've they've had they have multiple cycles that fail, and or or that they'll have a miscarriage. So that again is is infertility. So I think um, uh, it goes hand in hand. It's very you know it, case by case, but uh, I think more so more more often than not, we need to be thinking about the miscarriage in the bigger context of how long that person has been trying. Yeah. And then what is like losing a pregnancy look like? Does it look like the woman gets her period, like a really bad period? Or what does that look like? Since we don't talk about it, I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah. It's, it happens very differently for, for different women. Like they are, they're very silent miscarriages where women can they literally they'll go to a scan and they can't find a heartbeat. Um, but you'll, you won't have had, you won't have felt pain. You won't have felt, felt bleeding. Eventually your body will start, um, the process of, of terminating the, the pregnancy. So at some point, um, you know, the waters will break or, and it also depends on the gestation. Um, uh, you might start bleeding. You might start feeling very sharp pains. Um, it's kind of later state miscarriage, like your waters might bro- break. So it, it it is quite varied um, from women to women. Wow. Wow. This is like super crazy um, and like super informative. I can't believe this is like, you know, we're at over a hundred episodes. We really haven't talked about pregnancy loss. I mean, it speaks to even within femtech, we have not that we have biases, but we tend to even ourselves continue to talk about things that are like endometriosis or, you know, whatever, if infertility, IVF. And then, you know, it's like, for me, I've, oh, I'm always trying to uh, talk more about abortion because it's so common. Mm-hmm. But now I'm yeah. going to make sure I also talk about pregnancy loss because it sounds like yeah. really the rates of it happening are kind of the same. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, abortion is, is another interesting one where we also think of it as pregnancy loss because you will go through that grief, right? And you will go through that guilt. And there are very similar not feelings that you have to untangle, not talk. Uh-huh. Exactly. And, you know, for me, I kind of wrap a lot of these themes under taboo subjects. I think that we still have a lot of taboo subjects around women's, women's health. And I think we need to start breaking them. And I think abortion, pregnancy loss, infertility, um, all those fall within, within kind of taboos, right? Which, which just makes it harder for you to learn about it. The whole concept of not telling people you're pregnant until after you're 12 weeks in, do you think that was like societal or like, do we even know the history of that? Like, was there a time? It's interesting. I, should, yeah. I should actually, I should try to, I should figure out when that became the thing. Um, that's such a very good question. I should, very I'll go much back. I'm sure. Things, yeah. So yeah. You know, <laughs> but it is probably the history probably is because 80% of miscarriages will happen the first 12 weeks. So, yep. you know, so people won't, um, or the doctor, the doctor community will, will, probably put that as a marker like there are there are always different markers of when the rates of miscarriage the risk of miscarriages drop quite a bit so if you detect a heartbeat at week seven um, there's a much higher likelihood that it won't miscarry and if you get to past 12 weeks which is um, when kind of the a lot of the basic organs are all formed the rate declines even more after 12 so there's there's kind of like a science to it in a way 
Um, so it probably stems from from yeah. some of that. But I think the kind of shame of don't tell anybody or yeah. that that fear around it is 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 very is very cultural, is very societal, and it it, it 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 doesn't really actually help us because it really strips you from your support system. It really really does. Like you're 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 being told to hide something, which um, you know the risks are quite high during that time. So so why why already make somebody feel ashamed to it? Yeah. yeah, you know, and and then, you know, and then I think also like some women will will miscarry late. So uh, having that safe quote unquote safe pregnancy is, is some sometimes it's not re- relevant in a way, right? Because you could you could lose your baby late too. Gosh, it's like you know, if you had to put a narrative on society, it's like, dear woman, you're gonna experience, you have the high chance of experiencing something super traumatic and terrible. Keep it to yourself. Don't I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's bonkers. Yeah, I know. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I have two last questions for you that our listeners really love. The first one is um, we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders, which I love. We're growing the next wave of innovators. What's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Um, well, I'm obviously very passionate about, about pregnancy loss and kind of the early, early, um, pregnancy, uh, stage, but I almost would say that if you're trying to start a business, pick something you're passionate about, you know, even if it's something that is common and people have been doing a lot about a lot, there's just, you, you put so much sweat, love and tears into your business that, for me, what's more relevant is find what you're really passionate about that will keep you awake and excited about it rather than trying to figure out, okay, where's the main gap and may yeah, potentially even work on something that. that's not really kind of super passionate. So yes, I love that advice. I don't think anyone's ever given that advice actually. So well, yes, really, <laughs> you know, like do whatever the hell you want. Um, were, do, you, do you experience people telling you that this is a solved thing and you shouldn't start Parla? Do you relate to that? Um, I didn't. I didn't have anybody tell me that it wasn't a, a problem worth um, exploring. Because mm-hmm. I think everybody, or at least the investors that we rallied around the business, all recognized that women's health was something that required disruption and it required improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did probably have a lot of people try to me to try to pull me into different directions going oh the infertility market is so big the IVF market is so big and so I had to fight some of that because I because for me it's like yeah it's big but it's really crowded but nobody's looking at this part and you know like nobody's looking at mental health nobody's looking at an integrated approach nobody's looking at um uh pregnancy loss and and now you know you see I don't know how how the conversation is as much in the U.S. but here you're seeing some very large corporates. Um, well, the New Zealand, New Zealand is a, a perfect example, right? So the prime minister now is giving, she's recognized pregnancy loss and she gives, um, it's now part of uh, a paid leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so here you've had Channel 4, which is a really big channel. You've had Monzo, which is a, a fintech company. Um, you had um, Little, which is a large kind of supermarket chain. They've all recognized um, and they do paid leave for pregnancy law. So, so for me, it's um, there's you're starting to see that movement. You're starting to see that it is an area of health um, that people are starting to look at. It's not just this kind of thing that people don't want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see, you know, LV was was. I mean, they innovated breast pumps. I mean, when was the last time that you ever? looked at breast pumps so so I think you're starting to see that you're starting to 
to find areas where people felt like it was too taboo to talk about and you're starting to see innovation. Yeah, well, we got to keep the movement going. Our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Investors um, and founders, like female founders, uh, I think, you know, I mean, it's it's shocking the statistics. It's still only 2% of capital that go to women. Um, I think the majority of femtech businesses are still led by women because we really understand the problem. Um, and we need we need more investors who 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 recognizes women are 50% of the population. We are what you know, we make 60, 70% of the health choices. Like we are a market that you need to take care of mm-hmm. um, and and think about. And and that goes hand in hand for me with research. I think a lot of the times women's health has always been muddled together with averages and we are a very different body. Our hormones are very different. The way we react to things are very different and we need to start closing that research gap. And I think Femtech um, really helps that, right? So we've, you know, so the example I was giving you about how we got funding um, to run this uh, pregnancy loss program and we really kind of did a lot of greenfield research on the emotional health side of it is part of that is kind of really um, starting to do new studies that highlight um, the user need um, that women have. I think that's a, a massive gap that we need to start closing. Do you know if the rates of pregnancy loss are increasing because women are having kids later in life? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, my understanding is that uh, most of our research on pregnancy, child, you know, labor of it, all of it is based on like 1970s research with like 10 white girls in their early 20s. And it's just like, yeah, the vaginas that are birthing babies today are not, and they're not all white. They're not all 20 years old. Like they're not all purely healthy, right? They're, we're all different. And so. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think there's a gap in gender, there's a gender gap in research and there's also a diversity gap in research. I mean, the rates of death, maternal death, pregnancy complications are so much higher in minority groups and it's just it's just not fair um and and even kind of you know for us when we were when we launch our programs and we try to reach our our users and community we really have to be very thoughtful about um how to reach um smaller communities how to make sure that we can bring you know bring that that um that support to them um because it's not it still isn't the traditional channels but i think at the same time, I'm very hopeful for tech because I think tech can bridge that gap. It can get to you, you know, and and even kind of on a global basis, there are countries that you're more likely to have a mobile phone than a refrigerator, right? So there there are situations like that. So the mobile phone and tech and internet hopefully can can also democratize that. Yes, oh, I love it, Lena. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to my interview with Lena Chan, CEO and founder of Parla. I truly believe that pregnancy loss is something we need to speak more about in the femtech industry. I see panel after panel and startup after startup helping women get pregnant and then also supporting them after the baby is born. But I don't see nearly enough solutions supporting women who experience a miscarriage or stillbirth. One out of five pregnancies end in miscarriage. That's about 80,000 miscarriages or 24,000 stillborn babies per year in the United States alone. 
This is extremely prevalent, and this is the issue women are experiencing, often dealing with it alone and maybe with a small group of friends and her partner, but typically society says that she has to do this on her by herself, and you know, as a leader of Femtech Focus, I just don't think that's acceptable, and we need to come together and build solutions for these, for these families. I want us all supporting these women like Parla is. Learn more at myparla.com. Alrighty, Femme fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review, share it with a friend, join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org, and join the thousands of other Femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up to be a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month and get access to the Femtech Institute, which is a library of Femtech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your company and teach you more about the industry. Last but not least, please consider setting up a monthly recurring donation of Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Mm-hmm.